0: Please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the New Testament for our uh, scripture reading from Paul's letter to the Colossians. If you're using the church Bibles, you'll find uh, that we're reading on page 984. And this morning we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Maybe you've heard the saying, uh, that person is so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. That person is so heavenly minded, they are of no earthly good. Uh, It's a a caricature uh, that sometimes is thrown around. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you've even said it yourself. But the idea behind it is is that a person has become so absorbed in their religious beliefs that they've almost become disconnected from the world they live in, uh, from the reality uh, of the world that they live in, and they're irrelevant uh, to contributing anything to the good of society. A person has become so committed in their beliefs that they're detached uh, from the world. It's not true, uh, but it's a saying that sometimes gets thrown around. But when you start to pull that saying apart, there's an implied message in it as well. That person is so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. That word so is key because implied in that message is, is that it's acceptable to be a religious person. It's okay uh, to have a belief system, uh, to acknowledge that there is a God. The danger is is being so religious. The danger is being so committed. The danger is becoming too extreme in one's commitment to your beliefs, that you become uh, irrelevant uh, in the world around you. When we turn to Paul's letter to Colossians, as we've been going through Paul's letter to the Colossians, you remember that Paul explained the aim of his ministry. In chapter 1, he said that the aim of his ministry was to present everyone mature in Christ. Paul's aim was not simply to get people to give a verbal commitment to Jesus. His aim was not just to get people to nod their heads when he said Jesus is Lord. Paul's aim in what he was doing was to help people understand that Jesus is the hope of glory. And that when people begin to understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, it would transform the way that they live. That they would be wholeheartedly committed to the Lord. And Paul didn't see that as a danger. Uh, It wasn't a, a, a concern that a person would be Shaped in every area of their life by this message Rather it would actually make them good contributors to society and that was to be consistent with their belief As we're looking at Colossians We have been looking at many of the doctrines that are central to the Christian faith our understanding of who Jesus is He is the image of the invisible God. He is the creator of all things But we've also been looking at what Jesus accomplished. In him is the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. But as we come to Colossians 3 this morning, you notice that there's a transition happening here. Because in verse 1, Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ. You could also translate that as if therefore you have been raised with Christ. And the logic is, is that Paul is saying everything that I have been saying now, I'm pulling forward now and saying, let's work out the implications of that. Let's see the consequences of our beliefs in the way that we live. And so as you read through Colossians chapter three, you begin to see how one's belief is meant to touch on every area of your life. It is meant to shape the way that the marriage union works. It is meant to shape the way that one goes about one's work. It is meant to shape the way the, how we treat our neighbor. It is meant to shape uh, the family as a unit that God has established. But Paul is building all of that on what he has explained as at the heart of Christianity. And so as we come to chapter three this morning, uh, as we start to look at some of the practical implications of the message of Christianity. We want to see that it is flowing out from uh, our beliefs that being a Christian is not just giving a verbal affirmation. But for Paul, the aim of his ministry is, is that people would be presented perfect, complete, mature in Christ. That their life is now revolving around who Jesus is and they no longer live as they once did they don't go on living as they did before the message of Jesus changes things it ought to because the significance the ramifications of it are life-altering if Jesus is Lord then how do we acknowledge his lordship in our life If Jesus is reigning over all things, how does that shape the way that I live in my own situation? And so Paul is trying to to bring that all uh, to the front. But uh, as Paul is bridging between chapter 2 and chapter 3, as he says, if then, if therefore, he's building everything on what he's been saying already in the previous chapter. And you remember when we looked at chapter 2, one of the recurring ideas of Paul has been this idea of what we called union with Christ. That sounds like an abstract uh, title, an abstract designation. But what we mean by that is, is that a Christian is to understand themselves by their relationship to Christ. That union with Christ is a way of describing that connection that a believer has with Jesus and how they are to understand themselves with reference to Christ at all times. And while it may be hard to articulate it, we can implicitly grasp it as well. When you think of uh, sports teams, uh, um, you can have a team that works together. And if a team wins in a hockey tournament, then oftentimes the whole team will be awarded medals, not just uh, the player that got the game winning goal, but even the backup goalie who never actually stepped foot on ice during the game. He still gets a medal. Why? Because he is joined with the team, because he's wearing the uniform. He is part of the whole. And so even though he didn't score or she didn't score, she shares in the benefits of what has been accomplished. When we talk about union with Christ, we're explaining that what Christ has accomplished has repercussions, it has consequences, it has benefits for all those who are in the same uniform. For all those who are wearing the righteousness of Christ, the robes of his righteousness by faith, they now enjoy everything that he has been awarded. Everything that he has achieved is now theirs. And so this begins to shape the way that a Christian thinks. They no longer think about themselves just as who I am, as I discover myself. But they think about themselves with reference to who Jesus is and what Christ has done for me. So what is a Christian? A Christian, then, is not just someone who gives a verbal expression, gives the right answers to what the Bible says. A Christian is someone, if you rearrange the letters, you can even say it. A Christian is a in-Christ person. A Christian is someone who is relating to and connecting to Christ and enjoying his benefits through faith. And so Paul is taking everything that he's been saying now and drawing out the implications as we turn to chapter three. You remember when he talked about union with Christ, he described it as a change of status. And one of the ways that he described that change that takes place was a movement from death to life He says, remember at one time you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. But God has made us alive together with Christ, having canceled the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So when Paul describes a Christian, he says it's a movement from death to life. Of being dead in our sins, to being joined with the giver of life himself in Christ there is newness of life and that's an important point to realize here when Paul says that a person who comes to believe in Jesus has moved from being dead to being made alive Paul's not saying it's like a resurrection has taken place Paul is saying it is a resurrection that has taken place it is a real resurrection spiritually that has happened in time someone was dead and now they are alive that's an important point to keep in mind because especially in our day and age where there is a lot of fascination with uh, the the works of the spirit uh, of the charismata of the of the power of the spirit in the life of the new covenant community fundamentally The power of the Spirit is evidenced in bringing life to those who were dead. The work of the Holy Spirit is in joining those who were dead in their sins to Christ. And now giving them a new nature, giving them a new desire, giving them a new heart. That is a miracle. That is brought about by the work of the Spirit. That is the power of God unto salvation. And Paul here is explaining all of this through this idea of being in Christ or being united in Christ. So as we think about what Paul is saying, he is now addressing uh, those who have come to believe in Christ. Everything that he is saying in this chapter is now directed at those who have come to this place where they find their life in Christ. To those who have come to be united in Christ. And he's now pressing them to live in uh, light of that. uh, To live recognizing uh, the work of God's grace. So he says there in chapter 3 at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. Again you see how he's summarizing everything that he said in the previous chapter. Newness of life comes to those who were dead in their sins. When they're united with Christ, if you have been raised with Christ, been born again, if you've been born of the spirit, uh, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. When Paul says, if then, it's not as though he's trying to primarily cast doubt on their profession of faith. What Paul is wanting to do here is he is trying to press them into seeing the implications Are you living consistent with that confession? If Jesus is Lord and you have come to believe that, is your life now showing that in the way that you live? If you have been raised with Christ, these things follow logically. You will now live with a focus on Christ. You will seek the things that are above. And this morning we want to look at these verses and we just want to uh, highlight uh, really three uh, words that are uh, noted in these, word, in these verses. Uh, the word seek. Seek the things that are above. Then in verse 2, the idea of set. Set your mind on the things that are above. And then finally in verse 4, the idea of appearance. When Christ, who is your life, appears. But we want to see that uh, because Christ has ascended into heaven we are to live with reference to him. And we are to seek the things that are above. Or we could even say, we're to be heavenly minded. That's what Paul is really getting at. We should dare to be heavenly minded because we will be both of an earthly good and we will be heavenly prepared. So what does it mean to be heavenly minded? We can say three things. To be heavenly minded shapes our orientation. To be heavenly minded means to be contemplating the heavenly realities. And to be heavenly minded means to live in anticipation of heaven. First, then, uh, we are to be heavenly minded by orientation. Again, in verse 1, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. When you hear the word seek, uh, we oftentimes think about seeking something in terms of seeking something that I do not already possess. You may go to the library, you may get on the computer, you may search the catalog for a certain book. Uh, it tells you the location of the book somewhere is in the library. You go down the hallway, you look at the shelves, you look at all the letters and you find the book and you pull it off the shelf. We oftentimes think of seeking in that sense. I want to possess something that I didn't already possess but you can also speak about seeking something not in order to get something that you don't already have but as a reference or as a guidepost. many of you will be driving uh, this winter uh, and there will be times when you're driving at the night time and there will be flurries in the sky and it'll be hard to to be able to see where to go but in those night drives when the flurries are coming down you will look out and you will seek the yellow line. You need to know where the yellow line is in order to stay on the road. And so you're using that yellow line as a reference. You're using it as a guidepost. There's the yellow line. That means I should be right here. And then you're able to drive along, even though it's snowing, even though it's dark and it's hard to see. That's what Paul means here. We know that he's not talking about seeking the things that are above in the sense of getting something that you don't already have because Paul's whole point is is that Christ has ascended into heaven and if we're united with him in faith then our heavenly status is secure. We already have possession of a heavenly status. Rather what Paul is emphasizing here It is that we are to seek the things that are above in the sense that we're to live with reference to it. We're to be shaped from that perspective of knowing that Jesus Christ has ascended into heaven. This is uh, central uh, to the Christian faith, uh, that we're to live with reference uh, to Christ's exaltation. Uh, Paul mentions the things that are above here, but as the context shows, he's referring to where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We read there this morning from the Old Testament, from Psalm 110. And in Psalm 110, it says, the Lord says unto my Lord, sit uh, down at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. That that Psalm was speaking about the coming of the Lord Jesus into this world the one who would be exalted as the Redeemer King he would rule over the nations of this world Jesus after he died and was buried was resurrected on the third day but the scriptures tell us that Jesus after he was resurrected ascended into heaven and that when he ascended into heaven he sat down at the right hand of God, meaning that he took his place now as the king, as the mediator king of God's universe, meaning that he is now functioning as the mediator, as the power of God over all things. Paul here is emphasizing that Christians are to be heavenly minded in the sense that we are to live with reference to Christ who has been exalted. We're to live now with a mindset that Jesus has, been, has ascended into heaven and is ruling over all things. That's my yellow line. That's my guidepost for how I live. I don't live my life as though Jesus is simply gone. I don't live my life simply as though this is all that I see around me, but rather I live informed by what has happened to Christ and what has been done to Christ. He has been exalted, and now I am to live with that understanding. To sit at the right hand is to assume the position of power, and that means that he is functioning uh, on the same level as the Lord uh, spoken of in the first half of the verse. But what Paul is emphasizing here is is that Christians are to be deliberate. Christians are to live with a conscious mindset that Jesus is king. And so a Christian's orientation is always coming around the ideas, what is the will of my king? How do I live in submission to his rule? How do I honor my king in the way that I live. That is what it means to be heavenly minded. It is to honor God in the way that we live even now. Is that how you think of the Christian life? Is that how you testify to Jesus? If you're sitting here as someone who is professing to be a Christian Is there a connection between what you profess and the way that you now live? Where you set your mind, you seek the things that are above. You're oriented around the idea that Jesus is Lord of your life, of your time, of your wealth, of your aspirations, of your relationships. Over everything that you want to recognize him and live with reference uh, to his lordship. Again, in Psalm 110 it says there that, and his people will freely offer themselves to him. That, that they will gladly submit to his will. And so a Christian is marked by that desire for, for Christ's will to be done. To live in submission uh, to his, uh, his commands. So uh, the, being a Christian is to, to be shaping the whole of our life. You remember earlier uh, when we began our series on Colossians, in the opening chapter, Paul talked about his prayer for that church. His prayer for the churches is that they would be able to walk in a manner that was worthy of the Lord. And then he said that they would be fully pleasing to God. And he says, right after saying that, that they can do that. Not only is that their ideal. But he says it's possible for them to walk in a manner that is worthy and to please God. Because he said in verse 11, being strengthened with all power, they will be enabled to live in a way that is pleasing to God. They will be enabled to do what is worthy of their king. But now Paul is really extracting where that power is coming from. They they are going to be strengthened by their exalted king. It is the knowledge that their king rules that will enable them to live in a manner that is worthy of the Lord himself. And so Paul's prayer here was expressed at the beginning, but now Paul is being able to explain how that prayer will be realized. It's as Christians live knowing and living in light of the ascension of Christ. Jesus is Lord. And as we live in reference to that, our lives are going to be transformed. So we are to be heavenly minded in the sense of orientation, uh, seeking the things that are above. But we can can add to that uh, because Paul, adds a second thought in verse 2. You notice that he's really repeating himself, but with a different word in verse 2. After saying, seek the things that are above, in verse 2 he says, set your mind on things that are above. Uh, That word set uh, is a word that Paul loves to use in his letters. It's a word that simply means reflect, to consider, to chew over something, to think it through and extract all the juices of it. Paul is wanting Christians to be not only remembering that Christ has ascended as king, but now he is wanting them to be so ordered by that, that they are living with a a mindset of contemplating uh, Christ's kingship as well. Uh, Their beginning uh, of their understanding of Christ is shaped by their knowledge of Jesus. Jesus is their king. Uh, who triumphs over their wickedness. Uh, He is their high priest who always lives to make intercession on their behalf. He is that great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so they can have confidence of their status before God because Christ is ruling, because Christ is the one who represents them. They know where they stand with reference to God because they know who Jesus is. Now here's the thing. The accusation is is that being heavenly minded can be of no earthly good. It can be dangerous. But Paul's arguing the opposite. To be so heavenly minded in the sense of knowing who Jesus is. Makes a person very, very much better. Because now they're able to have a security. They They know who they are before God. And they know who they are before others. Isn't that really the crisis that we are finding in our world today? People wrestle with identity. People can't explain who they are. People are searching for significance as to why it is that they matter. They're trying to establish that they matter. Whereas here in the Gospels, we're being told our worth, our significance, our identity is secure in Christ. We don't have to to make it up. It's something that's realized in Christ. And we live safe and secure knowing that the God who is in control of all things is also for us. Setting our minds on things above means that Christians will be deliberate in their intentions. We have a clear purpose as to what it is that we are living for. This is the way, walk in it. This is the will of your king. And so our steps are informed. We have a clear direction as to how we live. We have a clear response uh, to situations we find ourselves in. What do we do with our guilt? What do we do with our sins? A psalmist taught us that we are to confess our sins and the Lord will pardon us. But as we think about uh, this with reference to what Paul is saying, we're to set our minds on things that are above even when it comes to wrestling with sin and temptation. Maybe as you think about the new year, maybe you are someone that does do New Year's resolutions. And Maybe you have a resolution that you want to kick an old habit, uh, a bad habit, or uh, to fight against a sin. But the temptation can always be to look within for our strength. I'll just try harder, and I'll get rid of it. But what Paul is saying is, is that Really, it's by setting our minds on Christ that we're going to be able to live in a way that is worthy of God. Philip Arthur made the point once saying the mind never exists in a vacuum. Not a vacuum cleaner, but a vacuum where there's a void. There's always something that's informing the mind. Our minds are always being directed by something. What Paul is simply saying is, is be intentional about what is directing and informing your mind. Let the truth about Jesus trickle down into every aspect of life, even when it comes to wrestling with sins. We need to be able to replace the desire of sin with a knowledge of God's grace and to treasure that above all else. So Paul here is really telling Christians To be heavenly minded. In the sense that they they seek the things that are above. That they are mindful. Of the fact that Christ has ascended. As Lord. That they would set their minds on these things. That they would be reflecting on them. Considering them. So as to bridge. What they know about God. Into the way that they live now. So that they might live rightly. In this world. Paul is telling them uh, to contemplate, uh, to reflect. You notice in verse 2 as well, he says, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Paul's not telling us to be monks. Uh, He's not saying don't ever think about anything in this life. The things on earth are set in contrast to the things that are above. The things that are above referenced in context to Christ, where Christ is seated. Uh, to, to think about the things that are above is to think about the exalted Christ. So by logic, when Paul says the things that are on earth, he means the things that exclude Christ from reference. He's saying not to be given over to a mindset that denies a place of Christ. Not to be worldly, in other words. That's what it means to be worldly. To just live without reference to God. To live with simply this this world in mind. And Paul is saying not to be living as though these things were not, uh, because that is really our our problem when we deny the truth of God and live without reference to it. When we do that, uh, not only does it undermine our sense of meaning and security, uh, but it ultimately means that we're living for something transient, uh, something that does not last. But Paul says in verse 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ. Maybe over the last few days, uh, you've had gifts uh, for others hidden away in your home. Maybe you had a gift that you were going to give to someone, uh, but you had it hidden in your closet. Or you had a gift, but it was hidden under your bed. Uh, it It wasn't known, but then later on you brought it out and it was revealed. Paul is describing something of our identity that can be hidden. From from one point of view, it doesn't look like there's anything different to the Christian. They're just another person living their life. But Paul is saying what others may not see is hidden, but it will be revealed. It is something that will be revealed uh, ultimately when Christ returns. He says, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. Our heavenly identity with Christ is real, even if it is hidden. So what does it mean to be uh, heavenly minded? To be living with reference to Christ, seeking the things that are above. Means to be setting our minds on these things, being ordered by this knowledge and reflecting on it in a way that consistently spells out the way that we live. But it also means to be heavenly minded is to live in anticipation of Christ as well. In verse 4, he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. There's an already and a not yet aspect to the Christian life. Already, there has been uh, uh, a resurrection. Already, they have been raised with Christ. Already, their standing in heaven is secure because their king reigns at the right hand of God. And they are hidden in him. But there's also a not yet aspect to the Christian's life. Although their identity in Christ is hidden, it will one day be manifest. It's the same thing as what John says. Beloved, we are God's children now, but what we shall be has not yet appeared. But we know that when we see him, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. In other words, something has already happened in the Christian's life. A genuine resurrection spiritually but that points forward to a greater resurrection a fuller resurrection when our bodies are also raised when the transformation is complete and the image of christ is reflected in us in glory and so paul here is telling christians how they are to be heavenly minded living in anticipation of the time when christ comes back it accounts for the past what has God done in Christ? Christ came and died and rose and ascended and he now reigns in the present. But it also means to live in light of the future. Christ will return and he will make all things well and we will be made as reflections of his glory. To be heavenly minded is not dangerous when it means to be, cons- to be contemplating the glory of Christ. It helps us take into consideration all truth, the truth about the future, the truth about ourselves, the truth about God's works. It helps us to live with security because we know our meaning. We're able to live knowing our identity. And it helps us to have that peace and hope of God's purposes prevailing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that you would help us uh, to take seriously uh, the the work of our God. We pray, Lord, that we would not uh, uh, fail to see how the works of Jesus Christ are to shape and to transform the way that we live. Lord, uh, we realize that there is a a temptation to live in this world uh, without reference uh, to the truth of your word. And we pray, Lord, that by Your Spirit You would help us to apply it, uh, to live conscientiously informed by it, and to be uh, shaped uh, by Your grace. So go before us now, in Jesus.